Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. My name is Greg Monteith. In episode 153, I raised the point that people do not, and indeed cannot, write their own stories. My podcast partner, John Polstra, was intrigued by this, and so, in episode 157, John and I discussed our different views on the matter. John valued the idea of writing our own stories because he saw it as essentially aspirational, the desire to take responsibility for one's own life and make the most of it. One of the points that I raised is that instead of talking about writing my own story, as if I were able to be, let's say, the author relative to my own life, I believe that a more viable and accurate way of formulating the matter is to talk about narrating our lives. Or, if you like, trying to occupy the narrator's position relative to our own lives. Today's podcast follows from John's challenge in episode 157 for me to lay out exactly what I mean by occupying the narrator's position in my own life, and particularly what I mean by the idea of narrative identity and why I believe that this formulation of the matter has the most intellectual integrity and the most experiential validity. Before I give you a brief overview of the key notion here, the notion of narrative identity, and then offer some deeper explanations of it, I want to begin by explaining what I think is at stake here. In other words, why does this topic matter? And so, why is it important to consider it thoughtfully? As I mentioned in my discussion with John in episode 157, what is at stake here is truthfulness, particularly my ability to be truthful about myself and with myself. This is because, in my experience, people who embrace the notion that I write my own story typically do so to legitimate the full scope of their personal history. So in other words, such people invariably hold to the idea that the entirety of the events of their lives are good because these events have contributed to bringing them where they are now. So in my experience, the difficulty with this particular view of self-authoring is that there is typically only affirmation of one's choices and almost never critique. In this way, events and choices that run counter to or undermine the current life story are often underplayed, if not ignored. The result, as I have seen it, is that these self-authored stories are almost always counterfactual. But what I mean by that is they contain and can even promote essentially lies, lies related to one's identity. And this means that how I understand myself, how I present myself to others, basically how I act in the world and who I am, runs the strong risk of being a deception, and primarily a deception to myself, if I go with this notion of self-authoring. The issue for me then is that the idea of self-authoring is both untenable, it's just not possible because life is bigger than me, so I can't control the events and situations in my life, and it is far too prone to cultivating a self-understanding that involves self-deceit. So what is identity? How is it formed? 
and how does seeing ourselves as seeking to narrate our own stories help us overcome the problems that I just mentioned? Let's begin by distinguishing narrative identity from the idea of occupying the narrator's position in our own lives. Narrative identity means that human self-understanding comes through narrative, through story. Specifically, the story that we live out, that we tell to others about ourselves, and that we hear ourselves saying. It is this story, the story of our own lives, that we are always attempting to narrate, where we are always, in other words, trying to occupy the narrator's position. So while we recognize that we are both actors and audience relative to our own stories, we are always striving to occupy the position of the one telling the story, the one who has the best sense of what is important and account for the aim and purpose of the overall story. The narrator doesn't make up the story, but offers the right way of seeing it and explains that right way to the audience. Now, this is as opposed to the one who decides what happens, how it happens, and how the story will eventually play out. This is the author. In a nutshell, the narrator means being someone who can act and take control while also recognizing that we all, at various times and in different ways, suffer things that are against our wishes and beyond our control. It recognizes, once again, that life is bigger than we are and that we don't have the sort of power or control over our own lives that being its author would imply. So what is this idea of narrative identity? Narrative identity is the idea that human self-understanding comes from and always produces stories. Also, our self-understanding is composed of three different elements because we experience life in and through time. So human lives have a history, but this history, which is really the events of your and my past that actually took place, is not the same of the story that we make of those past events. Nor is my current ongoing story identical either with my history or with the story that I make of that history. So I'm dealing with three things. Technically, we call a story about, the, about past events a historiography, which means a story of historical situations or events. So let me clarify. I'm referring to three things here. First, the events of our past that really took place. I call this one's history. Second, the story that we write, even if it's an internal story that we haven't written out in words, but that we have internalized about those past events based on memory and outside information. I call this one's historiography, the story of the past. Third, my own ongoing story about who I am and wish to be or become. I call this simply one's story. So history, historiography, and story. My story is informed by who I have understood myself to be in the past, but is also in tension with this self-understanding because human beings are not bound by the past. So three elements, one's history, one's historiography, one's story. They're all related to each other, but they are all also distinct. Again, for clarity, I determine whether something fits into my historiography, the story of my past, or my story, the account of my present and my future, based on whether an event, situation, or project has run its course or is still ongoing. For example, my experiences of grade school, high school, and undergrad are part of my historiography, 
They are completed events in my past and are not part of any current or future projects. By comparison, in the present, I'm developing a mediation practice and working towards assisting churches with the integration of faith and life. A third example is that my daughters are born in the past, but I'm their father now and will continue to be so in the future. So obviously there's crossover here. Things will shift into and out of my current story based on decisions I make and circumstances that arise. However, some things remain firmly in the past, such as maybe grade school, and while they contribute to my self-understanding through my historiography, the story that I've written and internalized about who I was in the past, and to some degree who I am today, these things that are firmly in the past do not play the prominent role that other aspects of my life play, such as my desire to be a good father, to be a trustworthy friend, a competent business owner, etc. Also, an important distinction is that my historiography, while it involves creativity, is very much an exercise in truth-telling, recounting real things that really happened. My story is less so, or more accurately, where it focuses on who I wish to be or become, my story is more closely related to the realm of the possible. It's more closely related to what could be. In this sense, living and narrating my story is also an exercise in imagination. But let's take a step back. So the past and the story, or historiography, that we make of it are not identical. Because, for one thing, none of us can access all the events of our, of our lives. So because we are limited by our memories, who, for instance, can recall their own birth, or our perspective, so I see only things through my eyes, not through someone else's, because of these things, we necessarily rely on outside information, such as documents and the testimony of others, to help us understand who we are. But even if we all had photographic memory and perfect recall, which are two different things, or reams of documentation, this would still not be enough because story writing and telling always involves the further activities of putting events into meaningful sequence and emphasizing some events while de-emphasizing or even ignoring others. This sequencing, if you like, and selectivity is not random, but it's carried out in order both first to make sense of matters and second to communicate something particular about those matters. In other words, we're saying something particular about something to someone. For example, recounting a holiday adventure to friends. When we talk about ordering events and offering explanations in order to structure meaningful communication, we are talking about the action of implotting, which simply means making a plot. Many of us associate plots with fictions, and so at first glance, this may not appear to fit with our situation. For example, isn't the story of my past, one's historiography, essentially a recollection of facts and dates? Well, yes and no. On the yes side, as I mentioned above or before, the story that I tell of my past, my historiography, is in large part an act in truth-telling. Or to say it differently, good historiography always displays faithfulness to the past realities that it recounts. It always displays faithfulness to the past realities that it recounts. On the no side, however, our historiographies aren't just telling any tale of the past. Instead, 
we seek to offer a perspective on our past that explains its essential nature and essentially who we are to some degree as a result. And we do this through the sequencing and selectivity of implotting or making a plot. In this way, a good historiography is necessarily also creative. So what does this mean about our historiographies, our stories of the past? First, it means that they are acts of what we might call creative fidelity, faithfulness and creativity in tandem. But what about the plot? Who decides what meaning to attribute to that story and what things to emphasize and de-emphasize as part of the process of attributing meaning? Well, you do. So maybe I do attribute meaning to the events of my past and structure the historiography and emphasize certain aspects as part of that process. But what about one story, the story about the present and looking to the future? What roles do faithfulness and creativity play in my story? One story, or the combination of partial yet interlocking substories, often there are a whole bunch of stories, if you like, that are part of our lives, that fit together in various ways and some don't. But the overall story is how we understand ourselves in the present and looking towards the future. So similarly to historiography, my story is related to my past. In this manner, my self-identity is partly a matter of truth-telling or faithfulness to my past identity, but it's also partly a matter of innovation or creativity. Now here again, we might be tempted to pull back. What do you mean, innovation? How can I innovate my own story? Isn't that just fabrication? Isn't that making stuff up? Isn't that exactly what I just talked about to begin with, about the idea of self-authoring and how we end up being counterfactual? I would say in a word, no. There's more to it than that. And it's a bit different than that. Importantly so. This is because we can understand our identity in two different but related ways. On the one hand, I am the same person that I was yesterday. I've got the same fingerprints, same dental records, same birthplace. On the other hand, I actually hold myself or not to a certain constancy with my past. There's a degree of continuity. So on the one hand, I'm capable of keeping my promises or failing to do so. I'm capable of escaping past patterns of dysfunction, self-doubt, broken relationships, or again, not. So we can refer, or I would refer to these two related aspects as sameness, the fingerprints, the dental records, the birthplace, and selfhood, the person that I seek to be related to my past, but also moving forward, being more than I was, accomplishing better things than I could before. And both of these are part of identity. The fact that identity involves both sameness and selfhood means that there's some fluidity in how our personal stories reflect our past. In other words, faithfulness to the facts of who we were need not imply the impossibility of difference or change. Now, this is where it's really crucial because what John was saying about the idea of self-authoring being aspirational is that he's seeking betterment. He's seeking to be a better version of himself as he goes forward and as he lives his life. And this is exactly what I'm saying is possible provided we understand the distinction between, on the one hand, our fingerprints, our dental records, our birthplace, and yet the ability to hold ourselves to certain things, to be continuous with the past, and to be different from the past, 
terms of things like promise keeping, in terms of dealing with patterns of dysfunction, dealing with relationships, etc. So if we accept that it's not only possible, but necessary for us to innovate regarding our own stories, what does this mean? Well, for one thing, it means that it's legitimate for us to ask, and this is a big, this is massive, I think, what makes a good story? And particularly what makes a good story relative to our own lives and also legitimate for us to want to make our stories good. Now, this again is not the idea of uh, fancy and fabrication, making anything up or ignoring the bad parts, the difficult parts, the mistakes as though they didn't exist, as though nothing I did was a mistake. But let's go further with this. So some people enjoy different types of genres. Some enjoy detective novels, science fiction, historical, historical biography. But I think that we would all agree that there are better stories and worse ones, regardless of the genre, right? In each of these genres, let's say. In other words, we find certain stories more compelling, believable, or interesting than others. The point is that story writing is not only a process of accuracy and creativity, right? We've talked about faithfulness and creativity, but it's also a matter of artistry. This means two things. First, stories are crafted according to an artistic process. Second, stories bear the marks of that artist of the artistry that is put into them. Now again, for some this may seem a bit far-fetched and maybe even impossible. Most of us aren't authors or artists. So what am I getting at? Well, simply this, that we are all in charge of our own stories, not in control, but in charge of parts of them and certain aspects. But what our stories look like, what the provisional results are, because we're still alive and we're still creating our stories, they're, they're still ongoing, and how we create them are perhaps a lot more complicated than we give ourselves credit for. And my hunch is that if we understood the process better, this may in fact change the stories we, we tell or want to tell about ourselves, and this may help us with storytelling in general. So what is the process of creating my own story? And how is my story different from my historiography? Let me take the, the second question first. My personal story is the story that I act, narrate, and tell of who I am now and who I seek to be or become in the future. So my story is the story I act, narrate, and tell of who I am now and who I hope to be in the future. We do not choose these roles of actor, narrator, and audience, but we play them each unconsciously as the situation dictates. And although my story is related to who I was in the past, related to my historiography, which includes what I have done and suffered and why, it is also sometimes in tension with the story of my past, such as where I seek to be a different person than I was in the past. This ability to be or become a different person than I was in past is based on the distinction I mentioned earlier between sameness and selfhood. So let's go back to these three roles of actor, narrator, and audience. What are they about? Let's take actor. Actor means that you are the person that makes your life happen. Life is most often about doing stuff, growing up, getting a job, moving to a new house, overcoming an illness, losing a friend, persevering through marital problems. So in the present, you act to carry out these tasks 
and subtasks in the hopes of meeting certain goals in the future. As the actor in your own story, your expectations are not so much what you want to happen as what you try to make happen. We're constantly trying to bring about the aims and purposes of our lives. Now let's consider narrator. True, our lives are strewn with goals and projects, most of which is composed of sub-goals and sub-tasks. There's tons of stuff we're doing, but we don't write our own story. We, we can't. Life is bigger than us. So we not only act or make life happen, but we also suffer or experience, if you like, life happening to us. And sometimes despite our best efforts to the contrary. Because things happen to us, we are not like authors, capable of writing our story so that things turn out the way we want. Instead, as I mentioned before, we're always trying to take the narrator's position in our own lives. The narrator doesn't make up the story, but offers the right way of seeing it and explains that way to the audience. The narrator's view of the matter is typically the best view and the one that we trust. Now let's take the audience. We tell our stories for various reasons, to justify our actions, to gauge our successes, or perhaps to receive sympathy for our failure. And I tell my story not only to my friends, my partner, my boss, but first and foremost, to myself. Sometimes we do this formally through journaling or counseling, sometimes informally, like stopping in a moment of confusion and just writing down or saying out loud what we're doing so that we can get our bearings straight. So we do this as part of figuring out what we're doing and why. This process of telling our stories to ourselves, however, is much larger than talking about doing stuff and listening to ourselves talk about the stuff we're doing. Instead, by acting, narrating, and listening, we engage not just the what of our projects, but the who of ourselves. We understand who we are, not just what we're doing, but who we are. This is because it always matters to us how things turn out in our own lives. We just don't do random things, or we don't just follow logical patterns. And this is because essentially we've been thrown into a world that we don't fully control, and we're trying to make the best of it. So our personal stories, or our stories, simply put, are never simply responsive to the events of our lives, but they are directive of our lives. And this is really crucial, as I'm not just making up stories after the fact, I have a whole lengthy list of, of plans and, and, and desires that I'm aiming towards. And that is a story that already exists. How it plays out, I can't quite control that. I'm trying to be the narrator in that regard and make sure that it's as much as possible, it works out the way that I hope it will. Well, we're almost done. But before taking a closer look at personal stories, let's take stock of what we've covered. First, narrative identity is composed of several elements because all of us experience life within time. I've referred to these elements as my history, my historiography, and my story. Second, in order to make sense of my historiography and my story, and to communicate something particular about them, both my historiography and my story have undergone sequencing and selectivity. We refer to this sequencing and selectivity as implotting or creating the plot of those stories. Third, writing our historiographies and narrating our stories involve both faithfulness to the past and creativity. In terms of our personal story, 
creativity can be innovative and legitimately innovative, not just fanciful or making stuff up, because human identity includes both sameness, like fingerprints, and selfhood, like promise-keeping. Fourth, within our stories, we variously take on, unconsciously and in the appropriate moments, three roles, actor, narrator, and audience. Fifth, and finally, stories are works of art that, like like paintings, for example, are crafted and bear the marks of that craftsmanship. So on that note, what makes a good story? To answer this question, I want to combine a few of the preceding points. To begin, the fact that a plot and the action of plot-making, or emplotment, is always involved in our stories. So plots are always involved in our stories. Next, the idea that we play three roles relative to our stories, actor, narrator, and audience. Finally, the notion that stories are works of art. Keeping these points in mind, I want to suggest three things that make for a good story. First, a good story is interesting and compelling. So primary to crafting an interesting story is the use of the imagination. For the narrator, imagination allows us to picture what could be. So imagination aids in the process of emplotment, creating a story out of a mere series of events. Likewise, where sometimes I desire to be different than the person I was in the past, to be more patient, more competent, etc., imagination helps the audience believe that this possible new me could in fact be real, because the first step is imagining that I could be doing this and seeing myself in various different ways as able to do this. In other words, the use of the imagination is one of the first steps that we take in, if you like, actualizing the possible so that this not quite new me will in fact emerge from the tangle of events and situations as the real me. So imagination plays a key role in this. How I act, what I do, my use of the will, certainly, but imagination is also there. A good story is compelling because it matters to us how things turn out. This involves investment in the activities of our lives which means finding the right mix of putting ourselves out there and playing it safe, the right mix of risk and security. Second, a good story is both believable and livable. Believable in the sense that that those hearing and telling must be able to see that the plot makes sense of the situation and the events, and that it coheres well with the facts of the past. Livable in the sense that the story for the actor must be possible and that for the audience, it must be bearable. So where I act in ways that conflict with the story that I want to tell about myself, sometimes I need to admit that I'm not the person that I claim to be. That's a bit, and that's massive, right? And change my story. And that involves being really truthful about who I am and how I see myself. And the, the, you know those two things have to cohere, right? And where they don't, I need to change that story. In such cases, I need to accept not only that I've let myself down, but I need to live with me as that person, the guy who didn't make it or failed or what have you. And this means not just recounting my own story and perhaps altering it, but living with myself, which actually requires humility and self-forgiveness. Third, a good story is self and other valuing. So where my story is about achieving particular goals, maybe being a millionaire by the time I'm 30, 
or raising good kids or being respected in my family or about being a certain kind of person, a good father, a generous friend, a talented performer. I create my, my own story by narrating it both according to, and sometimes, and this is really big, sometimes against the events of my life. Now, once again, I'm not doing this to make stuff up, to fabricate stuff. I do this because the events are perceived and so narrated according to a particular vision of the world that flows from my desire for a particular good or goods, such as desire for security, power, recognition, acceptance, freedom, peace, understanding, love, etc. By being oriented by these desires, this vision sees things not only as they are, but as they best could be. Now, this is coming back to this idea of the relationship between the real and the possible, but it's putting it in a certain light, and that is the light of how things best could be according to that vision. So I want to suggest to you that at its finest, this vision is a composite of love and truth, rightly loving oneself and others by truly understanding who and how valuable I am and the identity and value of the other. So again, I want to suggest that at its finest, this vision is a composite of love and truth, rightly valuing and loving myself, rightly valuing and loving the other. The narrator, in other words, not the events, recounts the story. Now, this is, I think, where John and I are getting a lot closer together here, right? Because sometimes the narrator will seem to recount the story against the facts. And that's, well, bear with me, let me get there. So the narrator, not the events, recounts the story. And so narrating is structuring and including events so as to further the plot of one's own life. So particularly when the unexpectedly negative arises, sometimes I implot events so as to resist major changes in my story. And, but this is not an act of dishonesty or deceit necessarily. I'm doing this with eyes wide open. And instead, this is an act of hope motivated by love that things in my life and my story may yet come right. And this is a massive difference. This is massively different from what I typically see with those who take the self-authoring perspective. It's not an act of dishonesty or deceit. It's done with eyes wide open, recognizing that, yep, I'm narrating the story this way and the facts seem like they're going this way, but this is this other way, but this is in fact an act of hope motivated by love that things in my life and in my story may yet come right. So where stories really are, if you will, literary artworks, my point is that through being interesting and compelling, believable and livable, and self and other valuing, our stories make for good stories because they aim at beauty, which is the realm of art. So I know that I've covered a lot here. Uh, it probably would be good to revisit this. This is a very dense podcast. There's much more that I could say. But um, instead of making more statements, I'd like to ask some questions and put those out there for you to consider relative to what I've said about um, taking the narrator's position and the whole idea of narrating and the overall perspective on narrative identity. Hopefully engaging with these questions will help kind of crystallize some of the material and some of the, these ideas. Question number one, how are you creating a historiography and a story? 
two, how are the stories that you tell tied to the past and how are they innovating upon that past? Three, what good is your story aiming at and what vision is guiding how you implot that story? Four, what is the relationship between how you act, narrate, and listen to your story? How productive is that relationship for, for your goals? Five, in what way are your stories interesting, inspirational, compelling, and for whom are they so? What role then does imagination and the tension between what is and what could be play in your stories? How is your story believable and who is believing it and why? That's six. Number seven, when your storytelling fails or worse, when you fail to live up to your own story, how do you manage this? How is this livable? Number eight, who are you valuing in your story and its various sub-stories and how do those parties perceive or respond to this? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.